Ron DeSantis goes after Pfizer. More Twitter files coming up. And Fox News lies again. It's a special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 301 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Tuesday, December thirteenth, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is really a different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, let's start with what my wife and I saw reported on Special Report with Brett Baer Tuesday evening. President Biden is once again touting his economic strategy as a success. This comes after a government report showing inflation slowed a bit more than expected in November, but still stands at 7.1% annual rate. His border policy, however, is not being met with the same type of enthusiasm. But there was a victory for one of the president's core support groups today. White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich has details tonight live from the North Lawn. Good evening, Jackie. Good evening to you, Brett. More than 5,000 supporters were on the South Lawn as the president signed the Respect for Marriage Act. It does not guarantee the right to marry, but codifies federal protections for same-sex and interracial couples uh, that were threatened after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Okay, did you hear that? Codifies federal protection for same-sex and interracial couples that were threatened after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, that's a lie. I mean, that's a straight-up bald-faced lie. Same-sex and interracial couples, as if they had anything in common, were not threatened after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. So why does White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich of Fox News claim that they were? Let me try to explain. In his concurring opinion to the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade, Justice Clarence Thomas made the case that they were only saying the court had been wrong to declare there was a constitutional right to abortion back in January 22, 1973, because there is not a constitutional right to abortion, and there never has been a constitutional right to abortion, regardless of what the court said in Roe v. Wade. 
Justice Thomas said he agreed with the other justices in the Dobbs decision of 2022 that they were not setting any precedents to overturn other cases which they might believe were wrongly decided. Now, he did say that the court might eventually want to take a look at cases like the Obergefell ruling of 2015. Now, that was a case in which the court ruled it was unconstitutional for states to define marriage. So that opened the floodgate of people of the same sex demanding marriage licenses, and now there are actually people demanding marriage licenses for polygamy, polyamory, all kinds of stuff. It opened all kinds of floodgates. But anyway, Democrat politicians, though, saw a political opportunity by taking what Justice Thomas said out of context. And that is what the so-called Defense of Marriage Act was all about. By the way, in no way did Justice Thomas suggest that Loving versus Virginia, the 1967 Supreme Court case that overturned state laws outlawing interracial marriage was unconstitutional. No matter. Democrats lied and said not just gay marriage was in danger, but interracial marriage was too. So they threw that into their so-called Defensive Marriage Act, implying you must be some kind of racist to vote against it. By extension, they're saying what liberals have claimed for many, many years, that a person who commits homosexual acts is no different than a person who has a particular ethnicity. They say everyone was just born that way. That's a lie, too. In his first letter to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So, the Bible says, God sets men free from the sin of homosexuality just as he sets men free from all sorts of other sins. Because Paul mentioned several other kinds of sins in there which had nothing to do with sexual matters. On the other hand, your ethnicity, the amount of melanin or lack thereof in your skin is not anything you can do anything about. And, of course, racial discrimination is a sin. No one can say, well, I used to be black, but now I'm white. No one can say, well, I used to be white, but now I'm black. I used to be brown, but now I'm black. I used to be black, but now I'm red. It's not how it works. But I'm here to tell you, I have known people who used to lust after members of the same sex, but God set them free, just like the Bible says. But I digress. 
Suffice it to say, on their big evening news block, which goes live at 6 p.m. Eastern, special report with Brett Baer, Fox News reported a lie. It wasn't just that White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich stated this falsehood with a straight face, but here's another important point you need to be aware of. Brett Baer himself is executive editor of the special report show. That means he is responsible for every word each reporter says on his show. He has veto power if one of them plans to say something he doesn't approve of. Jackie Heinrich doesn't get to say gay and interracial couples were threatened by a Supreme Court ruling if Brett Baer doesn't want her to say gay and interracial couples were threatened by a Supreme Court ruling. Now, later that same evening, both Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram said that same-sex and interracial couples were not threatened after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. But, of course, they didn't call out Jackie Heinrich or Brett Baer by name. That would have made made life very difficult because, you know, they're all on the same team, supposedly. Okay, before we move on, though, I want to play, I want to replay the part of Jackie Heinrich's report in which she basically just repeated the Democrat Party talking points, and you'll notice she hesitates. And I want you to listen to the tone of her voice and think about this. Is she hesitating because she was uncomfortable with having to report the lie? Do you think maybe not only does Brett Baer have veto power, but maybe he has the power to say, look, I want you to report it this way? It does make you wonder. So let's uh, let's listen again. It goes something like this. It does not guarantee the right to marry, but codifies federal protections for same-sex and interracial couples uh, that were threatened after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Uh, that were threatened. It seems like she's struggling with it. Know what I'm saying? Codifies federal protections for same-sex and interracial couples uh, that were threatened after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. She knows they weren't threatened. Brett Baer knows they weren't threatened. Just like he knows Joe Biden didn't win 2020 fair and square. But he'll never admit it. Speaking of Biden, he had all kinds of freaks there to celebrate him signing this law. And I think you need to hear what he said. Now, Ian Miles Chong, well, I'll tell you what Ian said about what Biden said after I play you the soundbite from Biden. Here, here's Biden. Excuse me, because they support LGBTQ children and families, we have to speak out. We must stop the hate and violence like we just saw in Colorado Springs, where a place of acceptance and celebration was targeted for violence and terror. We need to challenge 
the hundreds of callous, cynical laws introduced in the states targeting transgender children, terrifying families, and criminalizing doctors who give children the care they need. We have to protect these children so they know they are loved and we will stand up for them and say they can seek for themselves. Folks, racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia, they're all connected. But the antidote to hate is love. This law and the love it defends strike a blow against hate in all its forms. And that's why this law matters to every single American, no matter who you are or who you love. This shouldn't be about conservative or liberal, red or blue. No, this is about realizing the promise of the Declaration of Independence, a promise rooted in a sacred and secular beliefs, a promise that we're all created equal. You know the thing. Anyway, um, <laughs> Ian Miles Chong said, anyone who criticizes surgeons who perform transgender surgeries, Biden says, is responsible for racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, etc., because it's all connected. Okay? Uh, my buddy, who goes by Cape and Cowell, on Twitter says, as you can see, the Marriage Equality Act was written solely to have a reason to attack any religion that stands against drag shows for toddlers and child mutilation, nothing else. And 12 Republican senators signed off on this. He continues. He mentioned children more than once. These demons know exactly what they're doing literally pushing for acceptance of child mutilation. I honestly can't believe we're here. Now, Stephen L. Miller, not the Stephen Miller that's the uh, Trump advisor, but Stephen L. Miller who goes by Red Steves over on uh, Twitter, he said, I will never understand how easily DeSantis backed them into this corner. Okay? He said, they are attempting to semantically redefine what gender-affirming care for minors actually entails, much like abortion, like they did with abortion. We must accept it and pay for it, but never discuss what's actually involved with it. That's uh that's very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Um speaking of DeSantis, he announced that he's going to ask the Florida Supreme Court to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate Pfizer and Moderna. And I want to give you the details on that. He announced it Tuesday, and then Tuesday evening he went on um, Laura Ingram's show and talked about it. So before we get to more Twitter files coming out, we're going to get, because, you know, I wish more governors were doing what he's doing. 
you know. But most governors are beholden to their health departments and are still running public service announcements talking about how important it is to get vaccinated. You know, forget the evidence of people dropping dead, people getting myocarditis. Forget all that. Anyway, um, so we'll have that in just a moment for you. Look, let me say, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental USA, RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me tell you, Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier, now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. I know I'm saving money. Look, when you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Hey, switching is easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use the promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. Now, if you are a conservative-owned business tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, Patriot Mobile now offers competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. Switch to Patriot Mobile Business. Learn everything you want to know about it at business.patriotmobile.com or just call their 100% U.S.-based 
member services team at 469freedom. Use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. That's business.patriotmobile.com, or just call 469freedom. All right, let's take a look at what Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is saying. He's going after Pfizer and Moderna. So let's uh, let's listen to his announcement uh, from Tuesday afternoon. You know, it is against the law to mislead and to misrepresent, particularly when you're talking about the efficacy of a drug. Uh, we see just the other, uh, just recently, Florida got $3.2 billion through legal action against those responsible for the opioid crisis. And so it's not like this is something that's unprecedented. So today, uh, I'm announcing a petition with the Supreme Court of Florida to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. And we anticipate that we will get the approval for that. Uh, That will be something that will be impaneled, most likely in the Tampa Bay area. uh, And that will come with legal processes that will be able uh, to get more information and to bring legal accountability for those who committed misconduct. Have you heard any other governors talk like that? I didn't think so. But wait, there's more. And then finally, and and this is exciting, uh, we've seen uh, over the past few years uh, really the the bankruptcy uh, of the public health establishment. You know, we've seen a lot of ridiculous partisanship. I mean, I'll never forget that after hectoring people in April of 2020, uh, you can't leave your house. They were all upset at Florida because people were on the beach and playing golf and all this stuff. Uh, that if you left your house, you were almost like a bad person until you started to have George Floyd protests. And you had massive numbers of people that are meeting to protest. And these public health people wrote a letter where like hundreds, maybe thousands of them signed saying, Yes, we don't think you should be leaving your house normally, but we endorsed the protests and basically said that it was important that people went out even in big groups and protested. And then they said in the letter that does not mean they support protests for other things like people that wanted to protest lockdowns. Do you remember this? Because I sure do. And so if that just didn't take the mask off and just just show, you know, that this is all just a huge political farce, I don't know what is. But the reality is, even this in May of June of 2020, uh, I think you've continued to see people uh, in these bureaucracies and in this establishment behave in ways uh, that have totally squandered any type of confidence or goodwill that people would have. And our CDC at this point Anything they put out, you just assume at this point uh, that it's not worth the paper that it's printed on. And so it's not serving a useful function. It's really serving to advance narratives rather than do evidence-based medicine. And so in Florida, the Surgeon General actually has the ability uh, to convene uh, panels of experts to do uh, so various things. And so we thought it was important, particularly me talking with other governors, to say, okay, 
because CDC will say these things and then people will think, well, because they're saying it, then we have to do it. And maybe not quite as much anymore because people have lost confidence, but you still see it. We had to fight it with the masking in the schools because the, the, the school districts were citing CDC as the reason why they wanted to do it. We had to come and overrule that. Uh, but it was difficult because they were being put as an authority and some people were, were doing that. So other governors and I have talked about the need uh, to have uh, a panel of experts who can counteract nonsense when it's coming out of these institutions that are not going to just go along with the flow and follow pre-cooked narratives, but will actually do evidence-based analysis. And so uh, in Florida, uh, we're creating uh, what we're calling the Public Health Integrity Committee. It's a committee of expert researchers that will uh, be able to assess uh, recommendations and guidance uh, related to public health and health care, but particularly being able uh, to offer critical assessments of things that uh, uh, bureaucracies like the FDA, CDC, and NIH um, are doing. Uh, we know that there's been a lot of uh, faith destroyed um, in public health, uh, and I think that it's important that uh, we have folks who people actually can rely on when they're looking to answers and when they're looking for guidance on some of these really, really important issues. The people we have today, Bhattacharya, Kaldorf, Hogue, Freeman, uh, Christine Stable-Ben, Weinstein, Templeton, um, are all going to be on this uh, on this panel. And so I think you're going to see a lot of other states are going to join with us uh, to be able uh, to work. And so it's not just going to be helping Florida. It's going to be helping people all uh, throughout uh, the United States of America. And you see now in some of these enclaves, they're talking about masking again. They're talking about masking for flu and RSV And it's like, we're just not going to put up with this in Florida, and we want to continue to fight back. That's strong. That is so strong. Now, when I said I remember the hundreds, if not thousands, of public health officials signing a document saying as much as they didn't want people leaving their homes ordinarily to protest just any old thing. They endorsed people leaving their homes in the middle of COVID mania to protest the death of George Floyd. One of the reasons I remember it is because they had been endorsing the idea of Masking and staying six feet apart from everybody, right? Social distancing, six feet apart, which we eventually found out was based on nothing. They had nothing scientific to establish this six-foot rule. But they had a slogan in their support of the George Floyd protests, which they said were legit even though Other protests were not legitimate reasons for you to leave your house. And what they said was social justice is more important than social distancing. Do you remember that? And so hundreds of these public health officials signed this uh, 
this memorandum, this manifesto, urging people who they wanted the police to arrest if they left their home for other reasons, urging them to leave their homes to take to the streets to protest the death of George Floyd. And as Ron DeSantis points out here, that showed their hypocrisy. You know, it's either dangerous to clog streets with a whole bunch of other people, or it's not dangerous to clog streets with a whole bunch of other people, right? So which is it? And that was one of the things that turned so many people around and made so many people go, okay, now wait a minute. And when I say so many people, I'm talking about people who are paying attention because there are millions of Americans who to this day have no idea that there were public health officials that signed a document saying, go ahead, go ahead, protest uh, George Floyd's death. Millions of Americans don't know that because they don't pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, They don't know that although most folks were not allowed to have funerals to pay respect for the dead family members, George Floyd raided several funerals in different locales. A lot of people have no idea that happened. Just as you were not allowed to get in to see your dying relatives in the nursing home, and then you weren't allowed to funeralize them, oh, George Floyd, well, he got funerals, multiple, in different locations. So, anyway, um, good on Governor DeSantis, and I hope he's right. I, I mean, I hope that some other states will join Florida in this because these, these drug makers need to be held accountable. And frankly, anybody who tried to push this horrible vaccine on people needs to be held accountable. All right, now, um, but let's go to Laura Ingram. God bless her. Laura Ingram is trying to get the truth out about a lot of different things. So she had Governor DeSantis on her program Tuesday evening, and here was her introduction. Our next guest has fought relentlessly against medical cartel's silencing campaign, which is why he invited people like Michelle and actual experts to join him in Florida today. And he's also calling for a grand jury now to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to the COVID-19 vaccines. Joining us now is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Governor, it's great to see you tonight. Um, what did you learn today in hearing, again, these voices, many of them suppressed or people ostracized over the last few years all right so that's laura's first question and ron DeSantis is ready to knock the ball out of the park 
Well, Laura, like anything, I mean, you, you take an MNRA shot and the way to view it is, okay, what are the benefits and what are the drawbacks? And it seems like our medical establishment never wanted to be honest with people uh, about the potential drawbacks. And so you showed a clip from Dr. Latipo down here in Florida and the analysis that he's done with people, particularly young men who've taken the mRNA shots. We, of course, had witnesses talk about their experience and how are we in a situation yes florida we banned vaccine passports almost two years ago we banned uh, the shot mandates for jobs and saved a lot of people's jobs nevertheless throughout our country you still have hundreds of universities in other states that are still mandating these boosters on these college kids when any type of cost benefit analysis would say the benefit from them taking the shot as you as you alluded to. It doesn't prevent them from getting infected or spreading it anyways. The benefit is minuscule, uh, but as Joe Latipo and other studies have shown, you know, there is a risk for doing it. So why can't our medical establishment acknowledge that? Why the deception? Why have they continued to do this for two years? Hey, I mean, you can't argue with that logic, which is why Fauci will never talk to this guy. Okay, so Laura Ingram uh, has a follow-up question. I want to read some of the reaction to your move today. New York Magazine's Jonathan Chait said, it's been very, very obvious that Ron DeSantis was courting the anti-vaccine movement. It's a case study in conservative movements, intellectual dysfunction, and similar nastiness from Vanity Fair, taking your authoritarian ambitions to the next level. He demonizes public health safety measures to score political points. Uh, Governor, is your goal with this roundtable today to demonize public health and safety officials? Ha. She lobs one in underhanded, and he's ready to knock it out of the park once again. Ron DeSantis. Well, let me tell you this, Laura. The authoritarians were the ones that wanted to mandate the vax on people. I protected people from having that happen and made sure Floridians could make their own choice. The authoritarians wanted to institute a vaccine passport system, almost like a social credit system, so that people who dissented from this would be marginalized from society entirely. We rejected that um, and we banned it. So we were, from the very beginning, you know, helping people make their own decisions decisions, uh, but not using either the coercive power of the state or allowing big corporations uh, to condition those choices. And so, look, at the end of the day, um, what we're looking for is to provide truth, to provide accurate data and provide uh, uh, accurate analysis. And we had a great researcher from Denmark. You know, Laura, Denmark does not allow people under 50 unless they have pre-existing conditions uh, to get the MNRA shots because they've analyzed it. Uh, and said that the drawbacks outweigh uh, the benefits. But they've also looked at all-cause mortality, and the researcher found that, yes, in some age groups, there was a decline in COVID mortality after taking these, but there was then an increase in other types of mortality. So why have we not seen big declines in excess mortality uh, since these things have been introduced? And so uh, we have now a panel that we've created in Florida um, that is effectively uh, going to function the way a CDC should function and basically do evidence-based medicine, uh, take studies seriously that, that counteract the narrative, um, and be willing to ask questions and go where the data leads. Yeah, Fauci is not happy with this guy. 
evidence-based medicine. I mean, really evidence-based medicine as opposed to just trusting that Fauci is the science? Yeah, that's not going over too well. Okay, now, before we get to the uh, latest uh, Twitter file drop, um, uh, U.S. prosecutors are now saying that FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried paid illegal campaign donations totaling in the tens of millions of dollars. That's from the Associated Press. So uh, Buck Sexton, the guy that started OutKick, guy who uh, does a live nationally syndicated talk show with Clay Travis. Oh, I'm sorry. Clay Travis, the one that started OutKick. Buck Sexton is a former CIA agent. But anyway, they're co-hosts of a show that comes on from noon to 3, nationwide, Eastern, noon to 3 Eastern. He says, oh, this is going to get good. And then a friend of mine who goes by Bones McKinney on Twitter says, yes, but will the bigwigs ever be brought to justice? And I responded, Tyrus, the big guy, former wrestler on the Greg Gutfeld show, just said last night, about Sam Bankman-Fried, the guy that started FTX, he says he's going to get epstein 1,000%. He said that on live TV. Well, I guess they pre-recorded Gutfeld, but you get the idea. And then I, re- I kept on going here on my tweet. Tyrus on the Gutfeld show just said he's going to get epstein 1,000%. And I said... I have been wondering about that. Sam Bankman Free gets off in prison. The feds prosecute his girlfriend just like they did Glenn Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend, and then they don't indict anyone else. I would not at all be surprised if that's what happens. Sam Bankman Free, by the way, is being held in the only jail in the Bahamas. And it looks to be pretty rudimentary, old-fashioned kind of place. I, I, you know, I seriously doubt they have any uh, any cameras in there. You know, so if they wanted to do something to this guy, it wouldn't be like uh, with Epstein in, in the federal prison. Well, the cameras went on the blink when he uh, when he died. I don't think they have any cameras in the jail in the Bahamas, just so you know, just so you know. I'm not trying to upset anybody, anybody's apple cart, you know, but um, I, we don't soft-pedal things on the Doc Washburn show, you know. Uh, I, I'm not here to smooth things over. That's, that's not what I've been doing my whole talk show career and I don't think that's what you want me to do. So don't blame the messenger if you don't like the uh, the news. So coming up, we've got the second batch of Twitter files. Fascinating stuff about the government colluding with big tech. But first, the best kept secret in American healthcare. 
Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, psoriasis, migraines? Well, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it never came back. The migraines went away, and they never came back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, psoriasis, even migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, they still might be able to help you. Go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the tab that says Find a Doctor, and I sure hope you can. Okay, now you know I've been talking about how the world's going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people, were forced to close their businesses. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Switch to America.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. We now have over 30 different Patriot influencers aboard. I'm inviting you to join with fellow Patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big, woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We are done with the woke, globalist operation against humanity. Each one of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is called switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives 
for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to switchtoamerica.com. When it asks you how you heard about us, click on my name, Doc Washburn. That's switchtoamerica.com. All right, now, let's get to the... um, the Twitter files. On our last episode, we dealt with the first tranche of Twitter files that were released by journalist Matt Taibbi. Okay? The second tranche of Twitter files were released by Barry Weiss. So the first tranche came out December 2nd, which was a, uh, a Friday evening. The second came out December 8th, started at 7.15 p.m. Eastern, December 8th, which was a Thursday evening. Thread, the Twitter Files Part 2, Twitter's secret blacklists. And here she goes. A new Twitter Files investigation reveals that teams of Twitter employees built blacklists, prevented disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limited the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics all in secret without informing the Twitter users. Twitter once had a mission, quote, to give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers, unquote. Along the way, barriers, nevertheless, were erected. Take, for example, Stanford University's Dr. J. Bhattacharya, who argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Twitter secretly placed him on a trends blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trending. And they got the screenshot from the internal metrics at Twitter where they put this guy on a trends blacklist. She said, or consider the popular right-wing talk show host Dan Bongino, by the way, buddy of mine, who at one point was slapped with a search blacklist. That means good luck trying to find his name. I was on one of those at one point because I tried to search for Doc Washburn and I couldn't find my Twitter profile. She continues, Twitter set the account of conservative activist Charlie Kirk to do not amplify. Twitter denied that it does such things. In 2018, Twitter's Vijaya Gad, then head of legal policy and trust, and Kayvon Beekpour, head of product, said, quote, we do not shadow ban, unquote. They added, Quote, and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology, unquote. Now, that's interesting. We don't do it, but we definitely don't do it for this reason. <laughs> Barry Weiss continues, what many people call shadow banning, Twitter executives and employees called visibility filtering, or VF. Multiple high-level sources confirmed its meaning. One senior Twitter employee told us, think about visibility filtering, or VF, 
as being a way for us to suppress what people see to different levels. It's a very powerful tool. VF refers to Twitter's control over user visibility. It used VF to block searches of individual users, to limit the scope of a particular tweet's discoverability, to block select users' posts from ever appearing on the trending page, and from inclusion in hashtag searches, all without Twitter users' knowledge. One Twitter engineer told us, we control visibility quite a bit, and we control the amplification of your content quite a bit, and normal people do not know how much we do. Two additional Twitter employees confirmed. The group that decided whether to limit the reach of certain users was the Strategic Response Team, Global Escalation Team, or SRTGET. It often handled up to 200 cases a day. But there existed a level beyond official ticketing, beyond the rank-and-file moderators following the company's policy on paper. That is the Site Integrity Policy Policy Escalation Support, known as SIPPES. This secret group included Head of Legal Policy and Trust, Vijaya Gad, and Global Head of Trust and Safety, Yoel Roth, subsequent CEOs Jack Dorsey and Parag Agrawal, and others. This is where the biggest, most politically sensitive decisions got made. Another Twitter employee told us, Think high-follower account controversial. For these, there would be no ticket or anything. One of the accounts that rose to this level of scrutiny was called Libs of TikTok, an account that was on the trends blacklist and was designated as do not take action on user without consulting with SIP, P-E-S. The account, which Chaya Rachek began in November 2020 and now boasts over 1.4 million followers, was subjected to six suspensions in 2022 alone, according to Chaya Rachek, the founder of the account. Each time Ms. Rachek was blocked from posting for as long as a week, Twitter repeatedly informed Rachek that she had been suspended for violating Twitter's policy against so-called hateful conduct. But in an internal SIPPES memo from October 2022, after her seventh suspension, the committee acknowledged that Libs of TikTok has not directly engaged in behavior that violates the hateful conduct policy. And Barry Weiss has a screenshot to prove it. She brings the receipts. She said the committee justified her suspensions internally by claiming her posts encouraged online harassment of hospitals and medical providers by insinuating that gender-affirming health care is equivalent to child abuse or grooming. Now, compare this to what happened when Rachik herself was doxxed on November 21st, 2022. A photo of her home with her address was posted in a tweet 
that has garnered more than 10,000 likes. When Ms. Raychik told Twitter that her address had been disseminated, she says Twitter support responded with this message, quote, We reviewed the reported contents and didn't find it to be in violation of the Twitter rules, unquote. So no action was taken, and the doxing tweet is still up. In internal Slack messages, Twitter employees spoke of using technicalities to restrict the visibility of tweets and subjects. So here's Yale Roth, pardon me, Yoel Roth, Twitter's then global head of trust and safety in a direct message to a colleague in early 2021. He says, a lot of times, SI has used technicality spam enforcements as a way to solve a problem created by safety under-enforcing their policies, which, again, isn't a problem per se, but it keeps us from addressing the root cause of the issue, which is that our safety policies need some attention. Okay? Barry Weiss says, six days later, in a direct message with an employee on the health misinformation, privacy, and identity research team, Yoel Roth requested more research to support expanding, quote, non-removal policy interventions like disabling engagements and de-amplification slash visibility filtering, unquote. Roth actually wrote the hypothesis underlying much of what we've implemented is that if exposure to, for instance, misinformation directly causes harm, we should use remediations that reduce exposure and limiting the spread slash virality of the content is a good way to do that. He added, we got Jack on board with, that was Jack Dorsey, who was the former CEO. He says, we got Jack on board with implementing this for civic integrity in the near term, but we're going to need to make a more robust case to get this into our repertoire of policy remediations, especially for other policy domains. Barry Weiss says there's more to come on this story, which was reported by Abigail Schreier, also by Michael Schellenberger, Nellie Bowles, and Isaac Grafstein, and the team at the Free Press. And she links to an article there from the Free Press. She says, the authors have broad and expanding access to Twitter's files. The only condition we agreed to was that the material would first be published on Twitter. She says, we're just getting started on our reporting. Documents cannot tell the whole story here. A big thank you to everyone who has spoken to us so far. If you're a current or former Twitter employee, we'd love to hear from you. Please write to tips at the FP, stands for free press, dot com. And then she says, watch Matt Taibbi for the next installment. So let's, let's take a look at the next installment, by the way. Matt Taibbi from... Friday evening, December 9th. 
6.04 Eastern. So this will be the third tranche of Twitter files. And it says, Thread, the Twitter files, the removal of Donald Trump, part one, October 2020 through January 6th. And Matt Taibbi says, The world knows much of the story of what happened between riots at the Capitol on January 6th and the removal of President Donald Trump from Twitter on January 8th. We'll show you what hasn't been revealed. The erosion of standards within the company in months before January 6th, decisions by high-ranking executives to violate their own policies and more against the backdrop of ongoing documented interaction with federal agencies. Yikes. He says this first installment covers the period before the election through January 6th. He says, tomorrow, Michael Schellenberger will detail the chaos inside Twitter on January 7th. Then on Sunday, Barry Weiss will reveal the secret internal communications from the key date of January 8th. He says, whatever your opinion on the decision to remove Trump that day, the internal communications at Twitter between January 6th and January 8th, have clear historical import. Even Twitter's employees understood in the moment. It was a landmark moment in the annals of speech. He says, as soon as they finished banning Trump, Twitter executives started processing new power. They prepared to ban future presidents and White Houses, perhaps even Joe Biden. One executive said, the new administration will not be suspended by Twitter unless absolutely necessary. Twitter executives removed Trump in part over what one executive called the context surrounding actions by Trump and supporters over the course of the election and, frankly, the last four-plus years. In the end, they looked at a broad picture, but that approach can cut both ways. Now, in each tweet, he has screenshots. He says the bulk of the internal debate leading to Trump's ban took place in those three January days. However, the intellectual framework was laid in the months preceding the Capitol riots. He says before January 6th, Twitter was a unique mix of automated rules-based enforcement and more subjective moderation by senior executives. As Barry Weiss reported, the firm had a vast array of tools for manipulating visibility, most all of which were thrown at Trump and others before January 6. As the election approached, senior executives, perhaps under pressure from federal agencies, with whom they met more as time progressed, increasingly struggled with rules and began to speak of VIOS, V-I-O-S, as pretexts to do what they'd likely have done anyway. You know, I looked that up, V-I-O-S, V as in victory, and I cannot find what it means anywhere. But anyway, 
He says, after January 6th, internal slacks, that's a way of people have of communicating with each other, an app they use to commute, uh, communicate with each other confidentially. After January 6th, internal slacks show Twitter executives getting a kick out of intensified relationships with federal agencies. Here is trust and safety head Yoel Roth lamenting a lack of generic enough calendar descriptions to concealing his very interesting meeting partners. The screenshot, you got Yoel Roth saying, eh, it happens. I'm a big believer in calendar transparency, but I reached a certain point where my meetings became um, very interesting to people, and there weren't meeting names generic enough to cover. Anyway, let me know. Then he says, very boring business meeting that is definitely not about Trump. Smiley face. Oh, no, the winking face. Okay. And then a little bit later he says, definitely not meeting with the FBI, I swear, which, of course, means he is. Matt Taibbi continues, these initial reports are based on searches for documents linked to prominent executives whose names are already public. They include Yoel Roth, former trust and policy chief Vijaya Gad, and recently plank-walked deputy general counsel and former top FBI lawyer Jim Baker. One particular Slack channel offers a unique window into the evolving thinking of top officials at Twitter in late 2020 and early 2021. On October 8, 2020, Twitter executives opened a channel called U.S. 2020 XFN Enforcement. Through January 6th, this would be home for discussions about election related removals, especially ones that involved high-profile accounts, often called VITs for very important tweeters. And so here's a screenshot. It says, hello, everyone. Starting tomorrow, October 9th until November 15th, this channel will be used for the following reasons related to the U.S. 2020 elections. Trends identified that require scaled investigations high-profile accounts, escalations that potentially require PII or soft interventions, scalable solutions required, edge cases for XFN consultation, highlight highlight tech issues, bugs, tools, outage, gyra tickets. This is an enforcement channel between T and S and TWS to help speed up our response related to election issues over the coming few weeks. GET will start providing a hand over starting APAC shift tomorrow, Friday, October 9th, using the following template. And it goes on and on and on. Um, But it says, can you please make sure everyone on your team is within the channel? The teams that we included are as follows. Site integrity, safety policy, product trust, safety operations, media ops, global escalation team. If you have any questions or concerns, let me know. So moving forward, Matt Taibbi says there was at least some tension between safety operations, a larger department whose staffers used 
a more rules-based process for addressing issues like porn, scams, and threats, and a smaller, more powerful cadre of senior policy executives like Yoel Roth and Vijay Agad. The latter group was a high-speed Supreme Court of moderation, issuing content rulings on the fly, often in minutes and based on guesses, gut calls, even Google searches, even in cases involving the sitting president. So there's another screenshot. You got Donald Trump, 11.44 a.m. Eastern, October 9th, 2020, saying, breaking news, 50,000 Ohio voters getting wrong absentee ballots, out of control, a rigged election. And then the Twitter people on their internal communications, they are saying, one of them less than 30 minutes later, says, a rigged election would be enough to be in violation, right? Yoel Roth says, if the claim of fact were inaccurate, yes. He says, but it looks like that's true. And he has a link to an NPR article which says 50,000 Ohio voters to receive new absentee ballots after error found. Matt Taibbi says, during this time, executives were also clearly doing liaison with federal enforcement and intelligence agencies about moderation of election-related content. While we're still at the start of reviewing the Twitter files, we're finding out more about these interactions every day. He says, policy director Nick Pickles is asked if they should say Twitter detects misinformation through ML, human review, and partnerships with outside experts. The employee asks, I know that's been a slippery process. Not sure if you want our public explanation to hang on that. He says Pickles quickly asks if they could just say partnerships. After a pause, he says, for example, not sure we describe the FBI and Homeland Security as experts. Here's another screenshot. Mac Taibbi says, this post about the Hunter Biden laptop situation shows that Yoel Roth not only met weekly with the FBI and Homeland Security, but with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. That's fascinating. I wonder what John Ratcliffe has to say about all this, because I always thought he was a Trump loyalist. You know what I'm saying? Matter of fact... I wonder if we were just to um, just do a little search. Just do a little search for John Ratcliffe and see if anything comes up. I, I think on, on Twitter, DNI Ratcliffe. I mean, was, uh, was Twitter meeting with them behind the scenes? So, wait a minute. Now, this is fascinating. Because I just looked at tweet number 20 from Matt Taibbi's Twitter Files Tranche 3, tweet number 20. I go over to another 
column on Twitter, and I type in DNI Ratcliffe, and John Ratcliffe is, is responding to that same tweet. He says, what I said as the director of national intelligence in October 2020 was proven true. The intel community had zero intelligence supporting a false narrative that the Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Nobody in the intelligence community had authority to say otherwise. Okay, well, yeah, I get that, but but were you meeting with Twitter? Miranda Devine, New York Post, says, if the FBI, DHS, and Director of National Intelligence meeting was 15 minutes after implosion over Twitter blocking the New York Post, why did the government decline to share anything useful? Why did FBI, Homeland Security, and DNI not tell Twitter the truth that our story was not hacked or Russian disinformation? Director of National Intelligence... Ratcliffe said that days later. And this is in response to the next tweet from Matt Taibbi. Yoel Roth's report to FBI, DHS, and DNI is almost farcical in its self-flagellating tone. He says, we blocked the New York Post story, then unblocked it, but said the opposite. Communications is angry. Reporters think we're idiots in short, and then he curses about his bad luck. But um, I want to know about Ratcliffe meeting with Twitter. You know, I wonder if anybody has asked him about that in the last few days since this came out. I mean, am I missing something here? Because to me, it looks like a big deal. You know? To me, that looks like a big deal because I've always thought him to be a loyalist to Trump. And Everybody is, is saying, well, look, he told them that it's not Russian disinformation. The laptop was real, but did um, did Trump know that he was meeting with Twitter? Okay, so, so Ratcliffe was on with Maria Bartiromo Monday, December 12th on Fox News, and it went like this. Let's just check it out, okay? tell us have unidentified flying objects been seen well sure we we have uh lots of reports about what we call uh unidentified aerial phenomenon and this actually um is a program that's been in place for a few years in terms of a task force that that has been uh there under the national defense authorization act but as you correctly point out maria there's now a report that will be issued by the by the pentagon uh by the secretary of defense and the director of national intelligence i actually wanted to get this information out and declassified before i left office but we weren't able to get it down into an uh an unclassified format that we could talk about uh quickly enough but but frankly there are a lot more sightings 
sightings then have been made public. Some of those have been declassified. When we talk about sightings, we're talking about objects that have been seen by Navy or Air Force pilots or have been picked up by satellite imagery that, um, frankly, um, engage in actions that are difficult to explain, that um, movements that, uh, that are hard to replicate, that we don't have the technology for, or traveling at speeds that you know, exceed the sound barrier without a, a sonic boom. So, in short, um, things that we are observing that are difficult to explain. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's actually quite a few of those, and I think that that information is being gathered and will, will be put out um, in a way that the American people can see. We always, when we, when we see these things, Maria, we always look for a, a plausible explanation. You know, weather can cause disturbances, visual disturbances. Sometimes we wonder whether or not our adversaries have technologies um, that are a little bit further down the road than we thought or that we realized. But there are instances where we don't have good explanations for some of the things that we've seen. And, um, you know, when that information becomes declassified, I'll be able to talk a little bit more about that. Okay, I don't have a good explanation for why Maria Bartiromo at Fox, who's always asking good questions, was asking him about UFOs instead of about his meetings with Twitter on a regular basis. I I don't know. I mean, just... Oh, wait. Wait. Over in Rumble, John Ratcliffe explains the only reason the DNI would be meeting with Twitter. Really? So she did ask him. She did ask him. All right, let's check this out. Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo. Let's see. You can skip this ad in four, three, two, one. Close ad. And we begin this Sunday morning with a closer look at election interference and censorship from big tech social media companies with the latest Twitter files and the suppression of Biden-influenced peddling evidence found in the Biden laptop just one month before the 2020 presidential election. We are now learning that Twitter's previous leadership had a secret blacklist, which targeted users who went against the Democrats' narrative, whether related to the Russia collusion lie, the facts around COVID and its origins, the lockdown's impact on children, to the influence peddling evidence found on the Biden laptop. We now know that Twitter suppressed the truth and amplified the lies. But back in 2018, testifying under oath in front of House Energy and Commerce Committee, former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, apparently unaware of the Twitter agenda. Are you censoring people? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. It's bad. Is that true? No. Meanwhile, new Twitter CEO Elon Musk firing general counsel James Baker this past week for continuing to censor the truth found in the Biden laptop. Baker was previously general counsel for the FBI and was a driving force of the Russia collusion lie, which then House Intel Committee Chairman Devin Nunes first exposed on this program back in 2018. You have one of the top lawyers for the Democrats and the Clinton campaign who was feeding information directly to the top lawyer at the FBI before even the FISA warrant. A secret warrant was, gotten, again, was, was placed on an American citizen. Intelligence, as well as the FBI, the DOJ, in 2020 over election security. Joining me right now to tell us exactly what played out is the former director of national intelligence himself, John Ratcliffe. Uh, it's great to see you, director. Thanks very much for being here, John. You bet, Maria. Good to see so, you. So 
I remember back in October of 2020, you broke the story on my morning show, uh, Mornings with Maria on Fox Business, that in fact, the Hunter Biden laptop was not Russian disinformation. This was only a day or so after the 51 uh, spies that lied uh, said that the Hunter Biden laptop was disinformation. October 18th, October 19th, you and I spoke. You came on Mornings with Maria and you said this. Watch. It is Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence uh, Committee, who, uh, as you pointed out on Friday, said that the intelligence community believes that Hunter Biden's laptop and the emails on it are, are part of some Russian disinformation campaign. Let me be clear. The intelligence community doesn't believe that uh, because there's no intelligence that supports that. And we have shared no intelligence with Chairman Schiff or any other member of Congress that Hunter Biden's laptop is part of some Russian disinformation campaign. It's simply not true. Boom. You told the truth that right after that, Bill Barr, the sitting AG, said yes, what Radcliffe said was right. So can you please explain to us what was going on in the office of the DNI, along with the FBI, having meetings with social media as per these Twitter files? Yeah, you bet, Maria. Um, Thanks for having me on. Uh, As you saw in that clip, uh, I was very clear on that uh, position about the Biden laptop not being Russian disinformation. But it's important for viewers to understand, Maria, that when I said that, I was speaking as the DNI. I was stating the official position of the intelligence community. Um, that position has never been changed, even uh, to this day, uh, because, of course, uh, the laptop was not Russian disinformation. Um, and so that remained to be clear, uh, and uh, and it continued. So uh, with regard to the Twitter files, and I saw this reference to uh, meetings and with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, let me be equally clear. Um, the, uh, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence would have only been authorized to participate in Trump National Security Council approved and coordinated process for uh, election security briefings to groups of private companies. So it would include companies like Twitter, but many other companies, YouTube, Microsoft, uh, as well as state election officials to talk about threats. None of those meetings... But Maria would have had anything to do with content moderation, much less anything to do with uh, specifically about the Biden laptop as Russian disinformation. So there never would have been any authority or reason for anyone uh, within the intelligence community to be saying anything otherwise. Um, So, uh, you know, I think that's pretty clearly stated. And uh, in looking at the Twitter files, I did look and see in Matt Taibbi's substack where he said that there were weekly meetings between the FBI and DHS uh, and Twitter. And I know there are whistleblowers that are saying that as well. But Matt Taibbi also says there was only one reference to my office uh, and someone liaising with my office. And I assume that that I certainly hope that that was part of the National Security Council approved process for election security briefings. So what you're saying is the Office of Director of National Intelligence never tried to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story and the evidence found on it of influence peddling. No. uh, And for that matter, uh, Maria, no one should have been. Listen, from from October uh, 18th, when I was on your program and stated the official position of the intelligence community and then the Department of Justice and the FBI stated uh, in agreement the position of law enforcement, nobody should have been saying anything to the contrary. Um, 
to Twitter or to anyone else. Uh, you know, that includes former election officials. That includes reporters. Uh, and, and those that engaged in any process to say that there was any ambiguity with respect to that were engaged in election interference and a disinformation campaign to mislead uh, the American voting electorate. Let's talk about this story overall. You know the players better than most. Jim Baker is someone that you followed closely when he was the general counsel at the FBI. Walk us through what Jim Baker has been doing. And is it any coincidence after pushing this Russia collusion lie, he gets the top general counsel job or the deputy counsel job at Twitter after being pushed out of the FBI? Okay. So first of all, John Ratcliffe, I think, had a very good explanation for why there might have been a meeting between his office and Twitter. Okay. But also, this is fascinating about Baker, because as we told you on an earlier episode, um, Elon Musk had to fire Baker when he found out, wait, you're telling me the guy who was the top lawyer at the FBI pushing this Russian collusion stuff is our lawyer and is vetting what Twitter files we get to release? No, no, we got to fire him immediately. So anyway, Maria asking John Ratcliffe about this. Well, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. So, you know, very quickly uh, to your viewers, Jim Baker is the person who was involved in writing an exoneration memo for Hillary Clinton, having classified information on her server before the FBI ever interviewed her. Um, He's... uh, Uh, The person who hand carried information from Hillary Clinton's campaign lawyer, Michael Sussman, into the FBI, false information about a a relationship between the Trump uh, between the Trump campaign and the Alpha Bank, Russian uh, Alpha Bank. Um, It continued on um, with him trying to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Donald Trump after Donald Trump fired Jim Comey. Um, He was involved in the leak investigation involving Jim Comey that was the subject of the FBI inspector general. It it continues. In each of these cases, Maria, Jim Baker was working and taking actions that worked to the favor of Hillary Clinton or Democrats or to the left and uh, universally working to the detriment of Republicans, conservatives and, and Donald Trump. And that was all before he got to Twitter and got involved with suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story. Now, what's important about this, Maria, is he was at the FBI when the FBI obtained Hunter Biden's laptop. He would have known that the FBI was able to, in short order, because of the emails that were on there, uh, know that this was not Russian disinformation. Um, And so, um, you know, I don't think that Twitter just happened to... um, uh, you know, find his resume on monster.com. Uh, and I think what one of the things that, that needs to be <laughs> determined is what was his relationship with Twitter before he got to Twitter? And was he sharing information as the FBI general counsel, uh, uh, you know, to the, to the benefit of one political party to the detriment of another that then continued when he got to Twitter? Yeah. She's speechless. Well, you. 
She's still speechless. Okay, wait, here she goes. You you took his deposition, right? I mean, you, you took his deposition while in Congress. And, you know, you say that the DNI was not suppressing information, but the rest of the uh, apparatus in the government was. The FBI, uh, the DOJ meeting with social media to say, oh, this is likely uh, a part of the dump from from Russia. So what happens now? How how do you un you know, undo this abuse of power? Well, there's no question, Maria. So this was, as I said, this was a domestic disinformation campaign. It involved uh, Democrats like Adam Schiff on the. Uh, you know, House Intelligence Committee. It involved uh, members of the media. It involved, uh, you know, according to FBI whistleblowers, uh, FBI agents. And it, of course, involved Twitter uh, and all of these working in concert, putting their not just thumb on the scale, but entire hand on the scale to mislead uh, the American people uh, in the weeks and months preceding a presidential election. And, you know, to this point, you know, one of the questions I have is, you know, it was reported that when I was in Congress, Twitter was shadow banning me as a conservative Republican. Did that continue when I became the DNI and was putting out the official statement? As you accurately said, Maria, this whole thing was the suppression of the truth and the amplification of lies uh, to mislead uh, the voting public. And to that point, that's election interference. And, um, you know, private companies like uh, I keep hearing that, well, Twitter's a private company. They can do what they want. Uh, that's not the case, Maria. Anyone, even private companies, can't engage in conduct which yeah. is fraudulent in nature, intended to interfere with the free exercise of voting rights. Uh, and private company CEOs can't go to Congress and lie under oath and very clearly what Jack Dorsey said in the, the, the Twitter file, the Twitter files reveal they were censoring um, and he stated uh, unequivocally that they yeah. were not. So he, he needs to be brought in. The last thing, Maria, is Section 230 pr protection for companies like Twitter. They have civil liability protection because they're supposed to be a platform. They're right. not supposed to be engaging in editorializing, you know, or suppressing the truth, which yeah. is exactly what they've done. Congress needs to address that. Real quick, before you go, John, on TikTok, two years ago when you were the sitting DNI, you did a national security assessment of TikTok. It is the reason that Donald Trump signed two executive orders forcing the sale of TikTok. Tell me what you found when you did that assessment and why are we having the same conversation that we had two years ago after you've already done the work? Yeah, this is very important because that is a very, very dangerous app. If you have children or grandchildren on TikTok, you need to uninstall that. Here he is. Because Joe Biden reversed uh, to the detriment of our national security, those Trump executive orders. Look, uh, what, what they're doing now, and I appreciate that states like mine, Texas and others are, are banning uh, TikTok. But this should have happened two years ago, and states should not be leading on this issue. The federal government is. Look, uh, we did the national security threat assessment. We assessed that TikTok was a national security threat because uh, TikTok and its parent company, ByteDance, uh, use uh, algorithms whose source code is protected by the Chinese Communist Party from being transferred out to uh, to, to use those algorithms to uh, to modify, to suppress, uh, or to amplify uh, content to the wishes of the Chinese Communist Party. And in fact, the editor, the editor in chief of ByteDance, uh, a man named Zhang uh, Fuping, uh, is actually the chairman of ByteDance's 
Communist Party committee, and his job was to align their interests uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. So this is more than just about spying, Maria. It's about mass manipulation, censorship, and influencing the ideology of, of tens of millions of young Americans to the detriment of our national security posture with pro-China views, anti-United uh, States views. Right. It's a national security threat, and it should have been okay. addressed two years ago. Thank you so much, John. There we go. There we go. Well, that that went longer than I thought it would, but but I'm glad we got that clarification because I wasn't getting it from Matt Taibbi's divulging the Twitter files. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought Ratcliffe was a Trump loyalist. He's meeting with Twitter. What was that about? Now we know. And we know some other stuff, too, that was very important. Going back to uh, Matt Taibbi's uh, Twitter files, the third tranche, which dropped Friday evening, he said, uh, December 9th, he said, some of Yoel Roth's later Slack private messages, internal messages, indicate his weekly confabs with federal law enforcement involved separate meetings. Here, he's got another uh, screenshot. He ghosts the FBI and DHS, respectively, to go first to an Aspen Institute thing, then take a call from Apple. Okay? And then on the next screenshot, he says, here the FBI sends reports about a pair of tweets, the second of which involves a former Tippecanoe County, Indiana, counselor and Republican named John Basham, claiming between 2% and 25% of ballots by mail are being rejected for errors. Now, John Basham's a good guy. Um, We follow each other on Twitter. We've talked before. Matt Taibbi says, the FBI's second report concerned this tweet by John Basham. And Basham says, editorial. Okay, wait a minute, lost him. Okay, Basham says, editorial, the Democrats are in complete panic as their massive push for vote-by-mail is backfiring on them. Two things are unfolding. One, an unexpected number of registered Republicans are returning ballots. Two, between 2% and 25% of ballots by mail are being rejected for errors. And so Matt Taibbi says the FBI flagged tweet then got circulated in Twitter's enforcement Slack private message app. Twitter cited PolitiFact to say the first story was proven to be false, then noted the second was already deemed no violation on numerous occasions. The group then decides to apply a learn-how-voting-is-safe-and-secure label because one commenter says it's totally normal to have a 2% error rate. Yoel Roth then gives the final go-ahead to the process initiated by the FBI. The screenshot says, I think we can use the mail-in voting label for this one as is. Matt Taibbi continues, examining the entire election enforcement slack, we didn't see one reference to moderation requests from the Trump campaign, the Trump White House, or Republicans generally. We looked. 
They may exist. We were told they do. However, they were absent here. Fascinating. Okay. On our next episode, we plan to get into Twitter Files Part 4, which were released Saturday evening, December 10th, by Michael Schellenberger, who is quite the... uh, the presence over at uh, Substack writes a lot of great stuff over at Substack. All right, well, you know, you know what that means. It's it's time for it's time to say hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show tweet of the day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. Believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Okay, so we have a Twitter thread here, our tweet of the day. Phil Klein, former attorney general of the state of Kansas, former district attorney, state representative of Kansas, director of the Amistad Project, and professor at Liberty University. He links to a New York Times article which says, Carrie Lake sues Arizona's largest county seeking to overturn her defeat. Phil Klein says, Despite media claims, Carrie Lake's lawsuit reveals serious flaws in Maricopa County's handling of mail-in ballots violations of procedures and possibly law. If the lawsuit is dismissed, it is due to gaps in Arizona law, not a lack of substance. He continues. Using private vendors to cure ballots, unilateral and anonymous reversals of decisions to allow ballots that were rejected under law, using interim facilities or methods to handle ballots without the required presence of both parties were all tools of the left in 2020. Refusal to address these issues or even acknowledge the problem will likely bring us another crisis in 2024. Legislators cannot continue to ignore these issues and act without understanding these problems. We must have fair, inclusive, and transparent elections. Well, you know, uh, I appreciate that. Phil Klein, I appreciate you uh, writing today's tweet of the day. But uh, for everybody who argues whether Donald J. Trump or Ronald DeSantis should be our presidential nominee in 2024, I keep saying, look, if they don't fix what happened in Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, it's not going to matter who the nominee is. Okay. And since there's not a thing I can do to influence either President Trump or Governor DeSantis to get into or get out of the race, I'm just not going to worry about it until the primary rolls around in my state and I'll look at the names and figure it out then. But that's why I'm thankful for one thing, for Carrie Lake's lawsuit in Arizona. And I hope that she prevails. The uh, judge over there has ruled that Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs are both going to have to show up 
in the courtroom to address this lawsuit. So that's a good thing. More Twitter files and whatever news breaks between now and then coming up on our next episode. You've been listening to episode 301 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smooth Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier of the 10th. And that's the way it is. Tuesday, December 13th, 2022.